All right, everybody, welcome back to the Move Podcast. We're talking about stage seven. Alain, what we do? Stage seven, Mont-de-Marsan to Bordeaux. Mont-de-Marsan to Bordeaux. It's less funny when it's Bordeaux. I mean, you're so, you know, everybody kind of knows how to say that and feels like they've uh, been there because they probably uh, had enough to drink from there. Um, as it is each and every day, uh, the entire tour brought to you by Ketone IQ. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, more of the same Jasper Phillips and clearly the, the fastest guy in the race. Although, um, there were other highlights there stuff we'll, we'll, we'll talk about later. Of course, we uh, alluded to it yesterday, Mark Cavendish continuing to chase history. Um, so we'll break all that down here in a bit. But before we do, today's show brought to you by Caldera Lab. First impressions matter. There's just no two ways around it. What is the first thing that someone notices about you? In most cases, like it or not, it's your face, and more importantly, your skin. If you aren't already, it's time to put your best face forward. Caldera Lab is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, which everybody at this desk should be listening to right now. Uh, Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skin skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Uh, the regimen consists of the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. The base layer is your daily moisturizer that hydrates your skin, and the good is your go-to at night before bed. They even have this eye serum, so which apparently right George is doing right now. It's called the Icon. Um, and just remind folks about if something happened at Flanders. Like you dropped some Caldera lab when you were on that trip and you, apparently you were like on the ground lick, licking it up. Yeah. First of all, I keep this stuff in my bag all the time at all times. And I was, I kind of, I thought I had screwed it back on, but I didn't. I kind of placed it on accidentally. I'm very clumsy. If you know me, everybody knows that I'm clumsy. Put it over and it fell all over the floor. So I was out, I was, I was without the good, the whole trip of Belgium. I was trying to like scoop it up from the floor. I was like... <laughs> just to give me enough drops for the rest of the trip. And how'd that work for you? Not great, but I got a little, I got a little enough of it uh, back in there. Special offer for our listeners. You get 20% off with the code, the move over at calderalab.com. That's C A L D E R A L A B.com. That's 20% off with the code, the move at Caldera lab. Also today brought to you by Roka. Roka has invented a completely new class of eyewear. Glasses optimized for performance. No other eyewear brand can keep up with what these guys and gals are doing. They just keep making their stuff better and better, whether it's on the performance side, the casual cool side, walking through airports with the shades on side, um, or, or on the prescription side, whether it's uh, real prescriptions like JB has or just uh, readers like, like George and I do. Uh, they're unbelievably lightweight. Um, they will never slip. So no matter how much you sweat, uh, they were not going to slip off your face. And not only are they working with great cyclists, they're working with a bunch of folks in the special forces, other champion athletes, and they are hand built in our hometown of Austin, Texas. Totally kick-ass crew. Rob and the whole crew down there. I just love them. Um, making moves. The move listeners get 20% off. Just go to Roka, R-O-K-A.com. That's for 20% off and enter the code, the move. We were riding out yesterday. Um, and dude went the other other day. I was with HR. I said, you see that guy? He was rocking a pair of cool Rokas on the bike path here in Aspen. I thought that was cool. Yeah, you see him everywhere now. I just needed him to yell out, be like, I bought these because of you. <laughs> I was thinking it. Anyhow. Yep. Stage seven, Jasper Philipson. 
It often happens, right? The, the, when somebody is that fast, obviously he's fast, but the, but the, but that good. It's just and uh, George, you've been in those trains and in that position a lot more than certainly any of us. But the confidence that comes with that, you just know, like the the finish lines there, and it's it's it just gets easier and easier. He made it look easy today. He did, and arguably he didn't have the perfect lead out. I mean, Vanderpool did a great one, but he pulled off a bit too early, kind of left him out in the open, sort of in the wind, middle of nowhere. You don't want to be in that position, but he was able to react and uh, unfortunately jump right on Cavendish's wheel, which, you know, we're watching the the sprint, and a guy like Cav, I know him so well. You too. And he's one of the most experienced, no, he's the most experienced, most successful sprinter of 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 all all history. Of all time. In in our sport, and he when he gets out of the saddle and he goes, he knows that he can he can sprint the whole way to the line. It's not like let me go and see if I feel good and, and make it. No, 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 no. So when he sat down in my mind, and I actually said it to you guys, I go, wait a second. He never he never takes off and then sits down and then gets back up. So I'm thinking something must have happened. Mm-hmm. And Lance, you saw what happened. Well, what before that happened, or before as as we were watching the sprint unfold, it was interesting. And this for all listening or watching at home, if you could just have a seat in in the living room where we were, um, and there was only four or five of us down there today. But but Higgs, or, <laughs> sorry Higgs, <laughs> George uh, um, was watching the the race and pointing out where Cab is. Of course, they look like you know from the helicopter angle, look like a bunch of ants going the road down the road. So George identifies him right away. And so he's in the perfect place. And this is like a K and a half to go 30 back. And I'm like, feels like he's like not in the perfect place. But George, you knowing it so well. Um, uh, and, and of course, it ended up being that way. He, he, I did see the, the report that came out right after the finish says he was bitterly disappointed. And this to your point, George, you saw him sit down and said something's that's not normal. Because when he goes and you got to keep in mind, he's very small and he gets super low and he has you know so much power and so arrow. That when he goes, he never sits down. And he, and he sat down with, what, 150 to go? Yep. George Amelia said, that something's wrong. Um, he said, I jumped, Mark Cavendish says, I jumped when I wanted to, but unfortunately, I had a problem with my gears when I was sprinting. It went from the 11 back up to the 12, and I had to sit down to get it back to the 11. So I stood up, and it went back again to the 12. I'm pretty devastated, actually. The boys did a good job. It was one of those situations where it's not meant to be. Um, but it, it was, you know, watching this man uh, who knows Cab probably better than anybody outside of maybe Renshaw and, and, and a few others, he, Mar, uh, George knew immediately. Like this... Yeah. this uh, well, and watching him so far back, you know, as we were saying, two, three K to go, he's 25, 30 back. In fact, he wasn't even on the screen at some points. But to me, it's sort of an indication that, okay, I have maybe one guy on my team that can help me in the last final kilometer, so what do I need to do? He probably knew exactly which way the wind was coming, knew that there was going to be room to go, so he was probably just trying to hang back and stay out of trouble and move up at the perfect time, which he, we saw it. I mean, that was his best chance today thus far was to win mm-hmm. that race, and he has the power. And I noticed the other day in the sprint, he actually didn't even really get the sprint. When he went to go, he got boxed out by Greenovagen, wasn't even had to sit up for a second, ended up getting fifth, but I, I can tell he's got that power. He just needs some open space and perhaps get lucky on a good lead out, but he has the power, no doubt, to win a stage of the Tour de France. It looked like he had the speed of Philipson. 
at a certain before you had to the sit jump down. the jump was insane yeah right. he had, he, had he not had to sit down and switch back into gears and then switch back up again i i, I think he wins that Ugh. because it was very strange for me to see him sit down one as we just pointed out but two the fact that philipson was able to jump on his wheel and go right around him because at that speed one little loss of momentum and right. you just lose everything so if you, if, if you don't know what george knows and what he saw and you just watch it when philipson goes you're like oh well I mean, that wasn't even close because he, he did. I mean, he was flying by him. But if you know now what we're hearing now and, and, and as George uh, was laying out during the stage um, and, and it makes that big of a difference, at least we can leave with the consolation that um, he's got the legs. He's, if, if, if all things had been perfect. And that was um, a sort of a, he came with momentum. He, and he, I think he purposely did that to get that jump on Phillipson where he perhaps get a gap before Philipson was able to get on him. But the fact that he had to sit down, switch or the gear, the gear jumped that gave Philipson enough time to get him get around him and, and made it look almost easy going around him. But I feel like he was able to keep that momentum all the way to the line. It would have been a whole different uh, situation. Wouldn't want to be that mechanic tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big opportunity. Well, I, he has what we guess is three more chances. You know, we're going to talk about tomorrow. Um, it's uh, towards the end of the show. I, I don't think that, that uh, tomorrow is one of those days. Um, you could look to um, the stage in the Moulin, stage 11, although it's, it's also you know, not necessarily an easy stage. Um, and then you have to go down, and then uh, you hate to do this because you start getting down towards the end, and it's a real nail biter. Um, boy, you got to go all stage 18 into a Bourg en Bresse. So you've got 11, 18, and then, and then you got Paris. There's really, and, the, and some of those are a stretch. So there's three. Yeah, all the rest are, 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 you know, there's the one time draw and all the rest are seemingly in the mountains. So, And Cavendish has already announced that this is his last season. Boy, it crosses your mind, doesn't it? The way that the way you were laying out about how he looked in the sprint and how when he went is the first thing that came to mind. I was like, are we sure? Let's, let's not uh, burden him with that. But it is one of those things where you're like. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pointed out to me several times that, like, the sport's different now. The way these guys have to train and prepare um, there's no, I mean, of course we trained super hard back in our day, um, but we're able to socialize a bit go out with your buddies and ride. Cav says now all they do is intervals and like, it's almost impossible <laughs> to ride with your buddies cause you got to do intervals all the time. And it's just, it, that's, I just can't imagine how mentally tougher, much harder it is now to do that sort of training, but he's doing it obviously cause he's there still sprinting amongst the best in the world. But after a while it takes its toll and you know what? Let the man have a, a nice retirement and enjoy his well, and you guys have also ride off to the sunset. Another difference you guys have talked about is uh, what the sprinters have to get over, the speeds they have to get over some of these climbs in this era. Well, yeah. that's why I fear some of these stages that roll like that because they're, they, they're, they go so hard and it just takes, it, it takes enough out of you that you get to the finish and it's, you just don't have it. Or, or a break goes, right? And, the, and we're talking about you know potentially a stage 18. Those are stages where... GC is largely settled or, you know, you know, guys are, are 30, 40, 50 minutes down. Those are the stages. And the where, teams are desperate for a stage win. And, yeah, and they're sending desperate. these these kamikaze attacks and the team has to control the race. Is Astana going to be the team that controls the stage? I don't know. Probably not. Well, Jasper Philipson's uh, win slightly controversial, similar to what happened. I don't remember if it was stage three or four. In that stage, he he swept over to the right of the road. Uh, today, he took t- to the left and boxed out Guillermo, who seemed upset about it. He was. 
But um, I don't I think mean, anything look, came of it. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned, he was stuck in he was stuck in no man's land at the front of the race with 300 meters to go, way too early to start a sprint. But he's just he's established the position. He's got to jump on the wheel that goes by him. I mean, that's sprinting right there. Um, and yes, Gourmet unfortunately got squeezed in between him and Cav. But you know, he's got to see that coming. Coming a guy who's just won two stages. It's not going to just sit there and let the wheel no. go past him. He's going to jump on it, and he's got the right of way to jump on that wheel. And if you go watch the the footage, whether it's from any angle, uh, it's going to look a lot more drastic. I thought that the finish was extremely narrow. I expected a, a much almost a boulevard where we're you know much wider. I, when they rolled into that final two k, I was like, "Damn, is this going to open up?" And it never did. So when it's that narrow, it looks a lot more extreme. Um, um, and clearly, I mean, they, they went straight. If they would have been a question, they would have held him in the, you know, the yeah. hot seat there and, and made him wait. Yeah. But, give me a little more clarity on that. It's, it's, it's because Philipson was, a, you know, almost a bike length in front of Guermet. If they were yeah. side by side, it would have been a problem. Yeah. If, if he, I mean, Philipson didn't even see the guy's bars. It's funny. Like whenever I do local rides and this, you know, put it, put it in perspective for all you local bikers out there. When someone is, when we're going in a group or something and someone points to me, like, I'm going to get on that wheel and and I'm behind the person. I just, I'm like, you don't need to do that. That's your wheel. You're ahead of me. You're not mm-hmm. pointing. This is, Guillermet should have known that Philipson's at the front and he's won two stages. He's going to jump on the next wheel that goes. So he needed to feel Cavendish going and, and, and sort of react quicker, not try to go in between that space. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. Philipson had the right of way there, in my opinion. He was leading, and he was going for the win. So you're, so you, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, did you hear? So you still go out and do rides where it's a thing where like people, people will point have, to me and say, "I'm going to take that wheel." I'm like, "Don't do that." To like me. I only don't, ride don't with don't folks that like the friends, the few friends that you I don't have ride that, with anybody. Hold, hold on a second. <laughs> you haven't ridden with me. I've been here for a week. You've ridden with me one time. You made me wake up morning. at six in the morning to ride with you today. I had to go out of my way but, to ride with you. But you know, I ride with folks. That we ride two abreast. Nobody needs to point out where they're going. <laughs> These are all friends. So you're out there in like group. Well, right? I'm a social rider. Yes, I you know I ride with the people. <laughs> it sounds to me like you're doing the weekly races in Greenville where people are like pointing out like I do do the Tuesday night world championships for my son. Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> Is that like the Tuesday night we used to have in Austin? Just yeah, an informal Tuesday race. Night every, every, every cycling town has that thing. That informal they, race. Got the, I had it in, in Dallas and Plano when I was growing up. Um, absolutely. Every town has that. Yeah. The little, the little, Hammer fest. Listen up, people. Do not point to take that wheel. If you're ahead, just take it. Okay. <laughs> Don't do the point. I'm taking it. Well, just go. You're ahead. It's your wheel. <laughs> tip meant, of the day. Yeah. That was a free tonight's tip. tonight's group ride and and you know Charlotte. It is going to be a, a mass pileup, and the guy's going to get him. Go. You know. I fuck it. I mean, George told me my bar's in front of yours, so I'm, I'm coming wheel. over. And too bad. So sad. Uh, before we talk about tomorrow's stage, uh, today's show also brought to you by AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. All of us literally drink it every day. George, just you just hammered yours right before we started the show. I saw that. Yep. Um, and, and for me, I was just sick and tired of taking a bunch of supplements. I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases on a, uh, every day. I wanted better gut health. I wanted a boost in energy, immune system support. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. Uh, I take it personally. I take it uh, every morning, whether I'm at home or on the road. Um, and so with every daily serving, 
I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me the key daily nutrients and support all of these cool things like energy, focus, strength, and clarity, all for less than three bucks a day. And as I like to say, take control of your health. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash the move. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash the move. Also today brought to you by HVMN, which is, of course, our presenting sponsor for this year's Tour de France. Um, Ketone IQ, another thing that, by the way, did you have, because we we did ride early today. We started because we wanted to get back and watch the finish. I had a bunch of crap this afternoon. We had to ride at seven. Did you hit? I'm sure you were up hammering some ketone IQ this morning. Well, I got yeah. I had to steal one from your garage. <laughs> we don't have any. We don't have any at the bunkhouse. So yeah, I went in your garage and, and took a ketone. It is. It, it, so HVMN invented the first drinkable ketone IQ back in 2017. Their latest innovation has improved effectiveness, taste, and cost. Delivers clean fuel that can cross the blood-brain barrier, supplying your brain and body sustained energy, mental focus and sharpness, putting you in flow that lasts for hours. By the way, HVMN is not just used by the majority of this Peloton, also used, just like other products we talk about, uh, by the Special Forces. I mean, I think the tour is hard and all these things that we watch every day are hard, but boy, Special Forces, they know how to push it. You can save 30% off your first subscription order over uh, of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash the move. Again, that's hvmn.com slash the move and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. Last one of the day, uh, our friends over at Huckberry, um, uh, just Andy and Rich, man, they, they have built a business, right? Uh, millions of, of fans, millions of followers. I'm a subscriber to their daily newsletter over at huckberry.com. I get it and I read it. I read it every day and, and there's just all kinds of cool stuff in there. Uh, I alluded to uh, the other day about my, uh, hopefully now that I'm talking about it, I just said, we should make that a trivia quiz. Who went and watched my segment on crushed ice? It's a big deal to me, right? The sonic ice. Uh, but they did a cool thing for us because we just went through uh, all of the stuff and all of the brands that they have seriously curated. And myself, JB and George picked out just the things that kind of, um, that we liked. And so they made us our own curated list over at huckberry.com slash the move. Uh, JB, very happy. Your big box came here yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I, I, some kind of bear or something right. rifled through that box. I, I did. I knew you were going to say, so the box showed <laughs> like, up. what happened to this box? Well, yeah, exactly. It was a big-ass box. <laughs> and uh, it had, of course, it's Huckberry. So they do, do a great job. It's like Huckberry tape everywhere. And George just immediately sees good swag. This is the way he operates. I went through it. He sees good swag. Tried and it like, all on. No, he says, this has got to be for me. So <laughs> he's some good he, stuff. In he's there. just pulling shit out: shoes, jackets, uh, uh, meat. Tried it all. Meat seasoning. Trying it on, and then finally somebody's like, "I think that's JB's," <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and he just left it sitting there. And and uh, uh, JB walks uh, over and he's like, "What the what what the hell happened here?" I said, "Yeah, I think George got after it a little bit." And your stuff. Yeah, and to that point, people th- associate Huckberry with all the clothing, all right. the apparel, but oh, they're, no, they have a lot yeah. of cooking stuff. Did you get the pocket stuff. knife? I didn't get that pocket knife, but Ooh. they sent me the, the all the cooking spices, all yeah. the meat spices. They got all kinds of cool stuff on there. And the content is cool. They're writing about, you know, just, just stuff that I think is, they're doing a great job on the editorial side. Again, that's huckberry.com slash the move. That's us. All right. Tomorrow's stage should... 
bring back some memories for you. It did, yeah. I, I think I, we should I, talk about that first. Well, it, it's and and I'm not making this up. Like I I I don't know why it is, but I don't I I when the race when we would race and the I knew where the start and finish line was. I was just always trying to get there as soon as I could. I never left and 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 really. I mean, I had to ask myself, is that Limoges? The stage tomorrow finishes in Limoges. That sounds familiar. Uh, of course, the stage was very memorable for me and for the whole Motorola team in 1995 after losing Fabio Castrotelli uh, just before that, uh, which most of y'all who followed the sport know it's, it's, it was an awful story. And we just uh, rewatched some of the clips. Uh, uh, newly married, four-month-old baby boy. Um, um, it, it, uh, unimaginable. Um, and, and sadly enough, as we uh, also talked about the other day, uh, recently happened in the Tour of Switzerland. You just can't, we all know this sport is dangerous, whether you're racing or whether you're dri- uh, riding your bike down Main Street. Crashes happen, accidents happen, and fatal accidents happen. But you'd never think you're going to be on a team uh, where you lose a teammate. And, and unfortunately for us, we uh, we were, and, and actually, unfortunately for everybody in that year's race, you don't leave, even if you're not on the team, you don't, you don't leave the race and think, well, it wasn't my team. It affects everybody. So uh, a few days later, uh, had the stage in Limoges, and, and, I, and I believe, uh, if I'm correct, Johan Bernil was in the initial break, uh, and then I just went away and won into Limoges, and I actually think it's a very similar finish, if not the same finish, for tomorrow's stage, which is, is not a straightforward uh, sprint finish. Uh, but I, that was a, 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 a bittersweet day for me, for sure. And the other thing, the other fun factoid about, not that that's a, that isn't actually not a fun factoid, but um, is when you watch the tour and the, and the, the final stage and you stand on the top step and they give somebody the yellow jersey, they always hold up a, a, a trophy, which is the same every year. It's the blue and gold uh, bowl uh, that they hold up. Those are all, and I guess this part of France Limoges is where they make all this very fancy porcelain. And so those are all also made uh, in Limoges. So, so in this Limoges, I believe is the start of the Massif Central. Am I correct on that? Which to me is some of the hardest cycling you can possibly yeah. imagine when you're racing the Tour de France. Why? Because the roads are just never ending up and down. Um, tomorrow is the first real chance for the real rulers, rulers to get away and actually make it to the finish line. So that is going to be fireworks from the start. I imagine it's going to take a long time for the breakaway to go. Mm. Um, and yes, there is a chance it's going to be a sprint, albeit the, the smallest chance we've had thus far uh, in terms of the relatively flat stages. So I think tomorrow is just going to be a, a bunch of action, a super hard day to predict. Um, but there's going to be some really strong guys trying to get in that breakaway. All right. Uh, keep it also in mind, we haven't had, since we've had Philipson win three, UAE has won too. It's we're getting into another scenario, almost like we had last year. You haven't had that many teams, yeah. You know, and it's, a, it's the first real chance for like a non-true sprinter or non-true climber to actually win the stage yeah. tomorrow. And then the other thing about entering into this part of France, as you said, George, the Massif Central is uh, it's never flat, and the pavement changes. Right, the the pavement. I don't know. Maybe they just I don't know are lazy over there. They 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 do chip seal, and not that <laughs> oh, that's lazy, rough. but it's it's just rough. And just after it's hot, and it's getting hotter and hotter. I just checking the weather. It's a high of eighty nine degrees, so not too bad. Could be easily a hundred plus out there. So if you were to combine the rolling hills, the chip seal pavement, and and hundred plus, and two hundred kilometer stage, it becomes that starts to be really hard. But the roads just they just don't roll like you would uh, you know a newly uh, paved road. Maybe they roll better than your era on bigger tires. 
stuff for like sure. that. You yeah, know, for sure. Less PSI, but yeah. And okay. and tomorrow we could have you know if a, guy, if a team like Alpecin Felix decides Phoenix decides that they want to work for Vanderpool, I mean they could certainly sit at the front and control it and uh, combine with another team with a rider like Vanderpool to try to keep it a small group finish for the for the end, which is an uphill finish, three percent uphill finish, and very difficult right before that. So it depends on what the teams want to do. I assume a breakaway is going to happen, but if a team like Alpacine wants to control it, they could do that as well. It is. I mean, then that three percent is is for the the entire last kilometer is three percent. So it's it's um, it's not an easy finish. I, th- I think something gets away. I have to think. But if you look look at how, and you can actually see if you're looking at the profile like we are, you can see when you start to enter the Massif Central. Look at the first 123 kilometers. That's basically pretty flat. Right, and then then you start to enter into into this part of France, and it's a different game. It's 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 tough. It's up and down. The roads are smaller. Uh, the one thing I guess we didn't talk about, which who knows, uh, is wind. This is also an area that's very open. A stage like that can certainly be windy uh, if you don't have the protection from trees or, or towns. Uh, wind can play a factor too. This might make for a very good and interesting outcomes when we get into stages like this where a breakaway could stay and they, you know, uh, Johan and Spencer might pick some riders with some really good odds in your favor if you're interested. I just checked again here, light winds, so that shouldn't be a factor. All right. Anything else for about today, tomorrow, before we jump into the trivia? Uh, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, so, Ventum Trivia. All right. This is a chance to win a brand new NS1, their road bike. All you have to do each day is uh, answer this question, email it in. They're pulling a name from the correct answers every day. And at the end of the tour, we'll, we'll draw one of those for the NS1. Yesterday, Yesterday's question was, what famous sports announcer was in Lance Armstrong's mm. This Is Sports Center commercial? That was Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick. Yeah. Yep. And today's question. I'll give you another fun factoid about that commercial. I, I was I was on his trip to New York, and they wanted to do the Sports Center spot, which they had, at the time they were doing a lot of these that were really funny. They're always funny. They're, they're yeah. very funny. And and I was on this hectic schedule, and and I said, or somebody, I obviously didn't say this. Somebody said it to ESPN. They said, sure, he'll do it, but you have one hour to shoot it. I mean, when has anybody ever filmed a commercial in one hour? All I had was one. We shot that thing in one hour. Damn. Very cool. Uh, Here's your question you can answer today, and uh, we'll let you know the answer on the show tomorrow. But what is the longest stage ever recorded in the history of the Tour de France? Spencer... I mean, we talked about one, the, the brothers winning. That was that was 125K or something. Yeah, it was yeah. insane. They were on the bike 15 hours. Do those stages count, like the pre-war stages and the original stage? I mean, the I'm, history I, of the Tour de France. Yeah, okay. Tour. So, well, look, I mean, the, his, the, the, uh, the history uh, is what it is. I mean, the first, uh, first tours were five, six, six stages, and they did. They covered the country, and they had these uh, – they had towns that they always went to, Bordeaux, of course, being one of them, Marseille, another – uh, in Paris, uh, somewhere up in the Northwest as well, in Brittany, and they had to get there. I mean, that was one stage. So it's it, teaser alert for folks that are trying to guess this. Don't if it's anything less than 400 kilometers, don't guess on it. It's not it. Wow. 
One of my favorite old clips uh, is is seeing the the racers just pull over into what's essentially a market or a convenience store and just raiding the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they just went and just started taking whatever they want. And okay. I'm sure the shop owners are like, hey, it's the tour. Of yeah, course. we're going Girl. in, grabbing a glass of wine, having a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was uh, just uh, so among, crazy. Uh, amongst other things back yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here are some questions for you guys. We haven't been doing questions for a few days, so I thought they might come in handy. That's because George was so cranky yesterday. It was so riled up <laughs> that he just said, I'm not answering any questions today. You said that before the show. <laughs> I don't remember that, but okay. <laughs> I was fired up. Yesterday. Says, Hi, here's one. Hi guys. No I, regrets. I always listen to the podcast after work and love your insights into the race. My question, a tour de France without teams. Every writer for themselves, who would win? That's from Cornel in Belgium. Hmm. Well, um, hmm. I, I don't know. I, it's it, it. It would it. You'd have uh, it would be somebody. I it, this it would be a lot more random than you would imagine. Like mm-hmm. there would have to. And teams would start to be alliances and allegiances would start to be formed along the way. Anyways, just as probably what happened in the early days, which led us to modern cycling that now has actually teams. Um, I don't know. I mean, I get if the question is, if it was a time trial, I mean, it, it, we're still talking about the same two guys, I suspect, that would get around the country just like they will now faster than anybody else. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it would open it up a lot more for for really random Long attacks, long breakaways. I guess I've, no, yeah. I've never thought about it. Actually, yeah, me neither. I mean, this is a a team sport. It's like asking who'd win a tennis match without a racket, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, at least it wasn't a pickleball analogy. <laughs> Here's another random theory. I threw this out at Lance earlier. He wasn't too crazy about it. We'll see what you think, George. David writes. Remember we were talking about Sepp Kuz not just falling off after a pull on a climb? He says, is it possible that Kuz is continuing to ride after being dropped because he is designated to give his bike to Jonas in the event of a mechanical failure? Um, I mean, he was three minutes behind the car. The car was behind Jonas. So yeah. I don't think in that situation, but, you know, maybe they want to keep him in the top 10 for st- strategic reasons. You know, throw him in a breakaway, make the other teams have to chase. Um so there's, there's definitely some logic to that. I mean, if a guy like Sepp gets in a breakaway, Jumbo doesn't have to do any work because Sepp can claw his way back into the podium uh, position. And other teams like UAE, um, Bora, then they're going to have to take over the work. So it could be a, a strategy where they just want to keep him close to have, um, you know, perhaps put him in a breakaway one day and make other teams work and give their team a day off. Okay. Richard writes... Uh, people who analyze the Tour de France um, often talk about controlling the peloton. I have an intuitive notion of what this means, but you could, could you please say a few words about exactly what riders must do to control things? That's from Richard in uh, Los Angeles. Well, for one, like Johan mentioned yesterday, we'd, we would just put four or five of us on the front and ride hard. <laughs> so where even if guys were attacking, we, we wouldn't even try to jump with them. We would stay together. And if you're riding at you know 45, 50K an hour and, and somebody's attacking on the front, they can't go 55K an hour by themselves or for a very long time. So at least if you're together and you're riding in the front, which means controlling the race, then you're able to decide, I'm gonna accelerate and catch this guy like Jay Hindley right away before he gets two minutes with 30 guys. You're able to really 
um, decide quickly and, and be at the front in that controlling position uh, to uh, make sure a breakaway doesn't get too far yeah. out of control. It's all about the tempo. Yeah. I mean, that, that controlling isn't, although there are, have been times in the sport where you literally, on a, on a small, narrow road, you can control the peloton by, by basically blocking the road. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not really a thing anymore, it seems, but just, it's all about tempo. Just we, we've tried all different strategies when we were, when we were in the lead with Lance, where we like, okay, there's going to be a ton of, a, a shit ton of attacks. We got to go with everything we can and try to, you know, not let anybody dangerous go. But that's just so hard. I mean, especially like an area like the Massif Central where, you know, the Peloton is, is sitting on your wheel. They're coming down these big hills with momentum. You hit the bottom of this climb, and you know what we all know what our legs feel like at the bottom of a climb in the sand. You get ten guys attacking you full gas, twice the speed as you're going because you're at the front. They're coming with momentum. It's just, it's very hard to jump away with those things. So it's better to just ride your tempo, and accelerate when you need to with your teammates, um, and and everybody's on the same page that that is controlling the race. Yeah. Uh, Matthew writes with Bogachar winning the young rider jersey for three years in a yeah. row. Should he be excluded from that jersey competition? Well, I mean, I, I, no, the answer is no. Um, but it's it's we commented when uh, one of the first stages he put it on. I looked at JB and I said, Jesus Christ, this kid's still in the young category, young rider category. I mean, it's it's it just goes to show you how how young and early he started dominating this race. It, uh, and we haven't even looked, but I'm assuming that this is the last year he's eligible. Yeah, we haven't looked. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, one more here. This is from Stu. Uh, this is a long shot, but I thought it was good. It's, it's a, uh, Stu says, I used to ride through Monaco and up the Madone. About 500 meters from the top of the Madone, there was a guy who used to drum on a full drum kit. <laughs> he would drive up with his full kit in his car and set it up at the top of the Madone and drum away. It was always a boost when I needed it most as I approached the top. He might have been the happiest man I ever saw on the Madone. Was he there back in the days mm. when you would ride up it? He wasn't. And I'm, no. si I'm listening to this story going, God, how did I miss that? Makes me uh. want to go, go back and, and do it again. No. The answer is no. Uh, that would have... <laughs> I mean, uh, and if it's the true... You know, sort of two Madones that people use. There's, there's kind of the halfway where the village is, and you make that hard left, and then you go all the way to the top. Once you make that hard left, I mean, you are starting to get in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what I would have thought. Like, right. I mean, you don't see anybody. You don't see cars. You don't see. And all of a sudden you turn a corner as a fucking, you know, uh, uh, Lars Ulrich wannabe right there. I don't know. I would have probably fallen off my bike. That would have been sick. But no, um, unfortunately not for me. Okay. One more very lighthearted question because it, it was a light day here. Uh Kevin says, you, got, you, you can see how tight Lance and George are. Were you guys friends before you were teammates? Well, we've basically been teammates forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it started in uh, 1989 when we were uh, national team uh, teammates. And then almost immediately went into Motorola. And then, yeah. Yeah, at first, though, I, I've told this story before, but if this this fellow hasn't heard it, you know, at first I was like, I, I'd read all these stories about this kid from New York. Mm -hmm. You know, they were writing about him in ma cycling, like national magazine. I said, what the, who the fuck's this guy? Right, 14 <laughs> years old, winning races in Central Park. I really was like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't down with that. Um, I said, I want a piece of this. And then the guy rolls up and he's all nice and cool. And I was like, oh, bummer. I mean, he could have just been a complete punk. 
punk then, but it was, you know, we were fast friends. Yeah, we were. No, I think in, you've uh, shared Olympic your, training your first, your first recollection of him. I think you've shared that before, but it's been a long time. Yeah. I remember hearing a lot about him too. How <laughs> what, what did was. you think of him before you met him? I didn't, I didn't really have one thought uh, either way, but he did roll up an IROC Z all guidoed out with the uh, Z Cavarici shoes. Um, you know, uh, it was a hundred percent. He was on the cutting, cutting edge of style back then. And, uh, yeah, it was it. We, like he said, we got along right away. Okay. And I've, I'm just trying to pull it up, JB. I remember it's been a minute. Uh, and I don't know where you found this, but you, you found an old, uh, a picture of an old white IROC Z. Um, uh, maybe you took a picture of it. Um, I, I'm always it. searching the auctions to try to find you the I perfect you, IROC. It's, it was it's, white, right? It was what white. Year? It what was year? White. Uh, it was like 86. 86. 86. Yeah, I'll find you on. We called it white lightning for those who are curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I just would give anything to see uh, T tops. Nope, no, no T tops. I just I would give anything to see you cruising Aspen in an IROC Z with your shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Please have an animated stage tomorrow because th- this is what happens when it's it's a straightforward sprint stage and the and and the big favorite wins and we sit around and go, well, what are we going to talk about today? Well, folks, that's what you get. <laughs> JB says anything to see you driving around Aspen in a white IROC with your classic. shirt off. That'd be classic. <laughs> All right. If you have questions you want to ask uh, Lance and George, please send them in. The move at we do.team. Absolutely. And I would check out outcomes today if you want a better idea of what to expect. Tomorrow. I, 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 think I think that so. will be, that's where these guys start to shine and they'll start looking at, um, they'll know, you know, obviously the parkour, the stage, the profile, but also, um, you know, who needs it and who's all the dynamics of what team needs it, what riders out of contract, who it suits the most. Who's been making the breakaways thus far. And that's where the odds really, I mean, then you're looking at guys instead of a Philipson today that was probably 300 to one, you're going to get these, you know, they're going to be picking people that are three, four, <coughs> 5,000 to one. You Spencer, know, Johan, you got my number, right? Yeah. Go throw a little paper Holla. down. Holla at me. Holla. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow for stage eight. <laughs>